Well, hello, friends. Welcome back to the Bookshop Chronicles. My name is Brandy, and I am so excited you're here. I have so much to tell you. Okay, I'm not even going to waste your time. Let's just get right to it. First of all, I know it's been a little while since we chatted. I know, I know. It's been since, what, March 8th? That's been like a hot minute. But let me tell you, there is a good reason. I have some news. We at Daisy Chain Book Company are opening a second location this summer. Ah, I know. Insert applause here. Ah, I know. It's a big deal. So that has been in the works for a little while. And now we have finally secured an amazing location that checks off all of my very strict criteria. Because you know, I am very, very picky about these things. Well, we have found the perfect location in Beaumont. Beaumont is a smaller city outside of Edmonton. And I love it there. I've always loved Beaumont. When I had the book truck, I would take it to the Beaumont market. And I had an amazing time there. People were so excited about books and the book truck and all of the things. And since then, we have been doing regular book deliveries to Beaumont. So I really feel like our people are there. They're waiting for us. And we cannot wait to serve their reading needs on a regular basis. So that is... Oh, that's a big deal. And that's an awful lot of behind the scenes stuff going on. Because when we started the first location from the book truck, we were rookies, we kind of tried to figure out all these things. But when you're expanding to a second one, there's a whole lot of other things. You don't just get to do the same thing twice. It's a whole different deal. So I've kind of been up to my eyeballs in decision making and lists. Oh my word. I am list overloaded. I love lists. I love crossing things off lists. So right now I have a lot of lists that do not have things crossed off because we are still in the doing stages. But I wanted to tell you that because so many people were concerned about what's going on with your podcast. We're tuning in, but we're not hearing any. Okay, friends, I did not ignore you. I have got some conversations in the hopper that I'm still in the editing processes of. And I'm don't worry, they're coming. They're coming. And hey, Beaumont. Hi. Well, we are going to have episodes that feature you too. So that is what is going on. And you know what? Today is a fun conversation. If you love fantasy books, if you like diving into books blind, and that means not doing a lot of research ahead of time, but just saying, huh, that cover looks curious. I think I like that title. I'm just going to give it a shot. Then you will really love our next guest. Haley Freak comes to us from Newfoundland, and she has been a dedicated Daisy Chain Book Club member from the beginning. She's part of our book club. She's part of our write night. She's a regular visitor in the store and she reads a lot. So get your pen and paper ready, friends, because we have got a lot of books to cover today. You ready? Here we go. Okay, so as always, it is an absolute delight to chat with you. This is not new for us. You and I have had many a conversation in the bookstore, but this is fun because other people now get to eavesdrop on it. So, Haley, can you tell our listeners a little bit about you? So, my name is Haley. I am a Alberta transplant. I'm originally from Newfoundland. I moved to Alberta about a year ago. It's actually a year on Tuesday that I've been living in Edmonton. 
So it'll be my year anniversary. Uh, I'm an avid reader, obviously, and I'm a frequent shopper at Daisy Chain. Uh, I'm a writer. I'm a lover of all things outdoors. I love the mountains. I love the ocean. Um, I'm a dog mom. I have a little beagle baby. His name is Razor. And uh, yeah, that's, that's about it about me. How would you define your reading life? It varies. It's very flexible. I don't hold myself to any specific sort of genre and I don't commit to any series that I don't absolutely love. I would say that I'm, I'm very flexible in my reading life. Nice. And with the pandemic, that's actually really important, right? Because if you nail yourself down to only one thing, when the world changes, that's probably not going to serve you anymore. No, absolutely. Especially peak during the pandemic. Um, I started reading actually a series of eight books, uh, Throne of Glass. It's kind of a, a monster series. So I started reading the first book and then I was hooked. I read the, the, sec or the next four consecutively and I stopped. I stopped for a year and a half. I didn't touch them. I didn't pick them up. And recently I just finished the series. So the series just didn't continue to serve me. Yeah. And sometimes you do need to give it a break, right? I think that people often feel like once you start, there's some unwritten rule that you have to commit and continue until the dry bones of it are just knocking on your door. Like you don't, you can only do what works best for your reading life and for you to take a break in the middle. Good for you. Good for you. Absolutely. It's, I mean, it's a running joke in our book club that I, I seriously, you know, don't finish series. So I've, I've been better at committing but, uh, you know, it's hard sometimes. Yeah, it is. And I think sometimes what an author will put into a first book is not easily shared with the other books in a series. I find that many times I read one book in a series and it's really great. And the second one is like, and I think, oh, honey, were you just forced to write this book with your contract? Like you're just, your heart's not in it. No, I send a couple series like that and you know, they just don't serve me. I put them down. That's all yeah. you can do really. Unfortunately, like as much as you might love the story, you don't love the writing anymore. Or vice versa. You might love the writing, but you don't love the story anymore. And that's okay. You know what? That is so true. I find that I'm becoming quite a snob about the writing styles of books. And I didn't think I would be, but I'm getting very picky about that. You're right, because sometimes a story can be great. And if the writing is mediocre or you see a lot of errors or lazy moments or things that are easily repeated, I'm like, oh, please, <laughs> this is so dull for me. Yeah, I find a lot of like social media platforms that that push books, especially, you know, book talk. There's so many books just flowing in and out and you want to read all of them. And then you might start one. And you feel so obligated to read it because everyone else has read it, but the writing style just isn't for you. I found a couple books like that, actually, and I just, I couldn't get past the, the way it was written. Yeah. And book talk has really changed how people are introduced to stories. I'm, I'm kind of blown away by it. Yeah, I mean, it's not even necessarily more so reviews anymore. It's people just flashing a cover and a rating. There's nothing mm -hmm. else besides that or showing you you know, the first line of the book or the author's notes. And that's all you get. That's the only glimpse of the book you get. But you still, you're intrigued to read it. You're obligated to read it, but you don't know anything else about the book. And personally, I like to go in blind when I read. 
I don't like to know. I don't read the synopsis on any of the books that I read. I don't know what happens. I don't know where the story goes. And I kind of just let it flow. And wow, you are brave. Okay. So then have you found some that are just these beautiful surprises? By doing yes, that? I have absolutely found beautiful surprises. I'm actually in the middle of reading a beautiful surprise. Um, Finley Donovan is killing it. So I heard a little bit from you and a little bit from a couple other people in our book club, but I really didn't know the premise of the story. But aside from the fact that it read a little bit like Emily Henry, Mm -hmm. I was intrigued by that because I love her writing style. And I'm only 50 pages in and I'm extremely enjoying it. It's so fun. (laughs) It It is so so fun. fun. I've recommended it already. I'm doing a couple buddy reads on Instagram and I asked them for suggestions on what I should read next. And they were all like, well, Finley Donovan's on my list. So you should just go ahead and let us know what you think. So I Mm -hmm. messaged back, not even 20 minutes later, I said, I'm 15 pages in, put it on your TBR list next. Like, it's so good. Well, and that's an interesting comparison to Emily Henry. I wouldn't have thought that, but you're right. The, the pace of the writing, the use of limited description, but really good dialogue and content and good characters, really good banter. Um, mm-hmm. That's true. They both do have that in common. I love how witty it is. If a book has witty writing and banter, I'm a thousand percent all for it. Yes. Well, her housekeeper in Finley Donovan, her name is, um, uh, it escapes me, but she is one of the best sidekick characters that I have read in fiction in a very long time. Absolutely. I just, I love it. Love it. Yeah. So then you'll probably read the second one. I, I, you know what? I'm trying not to love it so much because then I won't rush to go buy the hardback because I have a paperback and I hate when they switch. I don't like having a hardback and a paperback. You know what they did? They actually released the paperback and the softcover at the same time. Did they? So when I placed my order with the publisher, I was like, well, okay, I guess hardcover. And then I looked and I thought, what the heck? So yeah, we have softcover coming too. Oh, you're an angel. <laughs> <laughs> Why would they do that? You're a book angel, Brandy. <laughs> well, you know, we'll put that on my tombstone. <laughs> book angel. <laughs> And you've been coming to book club now for how long? Since the first one, since September, I think it was. Wow. And I was You're very like OG. I am an OG. Yeah. Me and Rochelle, we came to the first one together and we've been there ever since. <laughs> Can't get rid of us. No, sitting in the same place every time. Same having place that, every time. That young adult banter about the books. I find even young adult books, they're so easy kind of just to get in a rabbit hole and talk and talk and theorize. So easy. Yeah, it's true. Mm -hmm. It's true. And I I love the enthusiasm. When people talk about young adult books, and usually they're fantasy, nobody talks about like a Sarah Dessen or a John Green, really, but... um, Oh, I love Sarah Dessen and John Green. (laughs) Okay, well, let's give these two some airtime then, because nobody oh. ever talks about them anymore. Everybody oh, thinks that the YA is very much, you know, the fantasy element and that kind of thing. But okay, so let's talk about it. Sarah Dessen, what is what is it about her and her books so, that you like? So when I was younger, 
my, I, my parents were really young when they had me, they were in their twenties. So, you know, we did a lot of thrifting and yard sailing and that kind of stuff for the house and just like clothes wise and that kind of stuff. It was more budget friendly. Um, so I grew up going to secondhand stores, going to garage sales. And whenever we went to yard sales, people were always enamored with me. I don't know why, but when I was five and six years old, they would love just to see the little girl bend down, like try to go through the books as fast as I could, taking out any books I could. And generally they'd just let me go with the bin. They'd let me go with the bin of books for a quarter. So I had a massive book collection by the time I was, goodness, 10 or 11. I had so many books. But I found a Sarah Dessen book at one of the garage sales I went to that summer. And I read that book so fast. And now it's not a very big book, so that's nothing to really boast about. But I read it so fast. And from then on, whenever Sarah Dessen, because she came out with books every summer, I would pick up a Sarah Dessen book and I would bring it out central Newfoundland with me when I went to visit my grandparents. I went every summer for about a month, two months sometimes. And I would just read. I would read all of them. I would read her backlist. I would read everything. I loved her writing so much because, you know what? I don't even know why I loved it. I think it was just to escape in a romance story and just think about like a summer love because that's what they were all about was summer loves and that kind of stuff. And being a little... 13, 14 year old when I was at peak Sarah Dessen stage. That's all you wanted was just like a little summer romance, something very innocent, just like a little, you know, peck or whatever, but you romanticized it. So mm-hmm. I think maybe that's why I fell in love with Sarah Dessen, but I stopped reading her books. I think it was, she really saint anything. And I think that might've been 2018. And that's kind of when I turned 17 and I got to university and that's when those books stopped serving me. But I still have every single book because they give me such nostalgia. I love Sarah Dyson and she did so much for me growing up. She, you know, helped me become a little bit more confident in myself because her characters were so confident or they were going through things that had to build their confidence to get through kind of thing. So I, you know, I found strength and I, I got confidence and her books definitely helped with that. But John Green, I would read John Green's grocery list. Now that's a compliment. I would read his grocery list. And when I was studying for my high school history finals, I would watch him and Hank Green. They did like their brief overviews or what was it? Two minutes, three minutes overview of certain topics. Anything he put out, I would watch it. I would read it. I loved it. The only book that wasn't my favorite was An Abundance of Catherine's. But I still read it. And did you read the Anthropocene Reviewed? I'm in the process of reading it. So I'm about, I think, a quarter of the way through. It's definitely a heavier read than what I'm used to. I'm not much of a nonfiction person, but I he speaks like he writes, or he writes like he mm-hmm. speaks, whatever way you want to say it. And Agreed, yes. It's amazing. I actually hear his voice in my head when I'm reading his book. <laughs> That's actually... I think what that means too is that an author has a very authentic voice and they stayed true to it, which mm-hmm. so many authors, they kind of bend to whatever is trendy or they, they lose themselves in the editing room floor, right? They kind mm-hmm. of, I don't know, they become a product of what is 
trending or what is appropriate or whatever sells and they do lose that authenticity. So when you do find an author who you can recognize, even if you didn't know who it was by, you could think, this is like John Green. I can totally get John Green vibes from this mm-hmm. and realize, oh, this is him because you recognize yeah. his style so clearly. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And John Green, like, there's just something about the way he writes his characters because they're so relatable. And then at the same time, they're a complete mystery. You never really know any of John Green's characters until he allows you to know them, which I extremely love. Mm-hmm. I think everyone should have a little bit of mystery. I agree. I agree. And I love the idea too, that you have books attached to your history. Like I'm picturing this little girl going through these, these bins at garage sales and stuff. And, and then having Sarah Destin as part of your legacy of why you love books and the seasons in which you really enjoyed them and attaching that memory to it. Books are so incredible for that. Right? They like they're are, part absolutely. of your history. They mold you. They make you. Well, I can tell you a story about a book that made me. Um, yes. Goodness. I was in fourth grade and I was a goody two shoes. Like I never did anything wrong. My parents never had a reason to get mad at me. And they never did. My parents never really got mad at me. They, you know, if I did something wrong, they explained right from wrong. And there was never any yelling, never any scolding. But for whatever reason, I was so anxious about my schoolwork. I was a very anxious little girl. So I had, I would make up these wild stories in my head about like, oh my God, you know, if I do this homework, I do it wrong. I'm going to get in so much trouble. I just wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do the homework. I wouldn't hand in it anything because I was so nervous about getting it wrong and my teacher telling me I got it wrong and I didn't I didn't know why so I stopped handing homework for about two weeks so I get this homework note from my teacher and she looks at me she's like Haley you need to bring this to your parents and get them to sign it so now in my head I'm like oh my god my parents are gonna be so mad at me I'm, I'm in so much trouble when realistically they never ever got mad at me so I don't know why like logically it wasn't sound So I took this note in the bathroom the next day at class and I forged my mother's signature on it. (laughs) And I handed it to the teacher and I was so proud of myself. I was so proud of myself that I had thought of it. I was like, yeah, they're never going to know. I'll start doing my homework. Everything will be fine. And then my dad, I used to go to an after school program. My dad came in right as the school bell rang and he came and picked me up. And I was like, I'm in so much trouble. I'm in so much trouble. He didn't, he didn't say a word to me as, and that's worse than when parents yell is when they don't speak, mm-hmm. you know, that you're in trouble then. So I get home, my mom sat down, they're both home from work early. And I know my, once again, my dad doesn't say anything. He just slowly goes in my room and he takes out my TV. He takes out the DVD player I had in there and he just clears things out of my room. And my mom says, well, it goes, you know, you did something wrong goes without saying and uh you're grounded for a week so I cried I'm like I'm so sorry I didn't mean to disappoint you so they ground me and I didn't have a tv and at that point you know I was reading but I wasn't actively reading like I wasn't devouring books like I did when I was you know in my early teens so my dad was like well you can find other things to pass the time besides watch tv you're going to be in your room you're going to be doing your homework and besides that you can read I was like, okay, I'm so sorry. Like, whatever, whatever you want, I'll do it. I'm so sorry. So I picked this book up off the shelf. And my dad at the time was a book cover designer. So we had 
an array of locally published books that he had all done the covers of. Like we had a little library in our house full of just books that he had did. So I picked one up off the shelf and it was called uh, Far From Home and it was by Nellie Armstrong. And I still remember the book to this day. And it's the first book that, you know, actually avalanched my my reading life and my my reading journey. And I read this book. And from then on, I just, I picked up whatever I could off that bookshelf. And it was about a young girl in an orphanage and she met um, Sir Wilfred Grenfell. And from then on, you know, I just, I fell in love with that story. And I fell in love with the books, like, especially Newfoundland books. And you turned punishment into a lifelong hobby. And I can I just say for one hot second, if somebody told me you have to stay in your room and you have to find something to do, oh, like maybe reading, um, uh, yes, please. Like, sign me up for that. <laughs> Isn't it funny I mean, how when you're younger, the things that seem like punishment, you actually aspire to when you get older? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, from then on, it was like, you know, you're still granted for a week. You finish this book in two days. I was like, oh, well, I'm just going to read some more books. Yeah. Yeah. That's so funny. So yeah. you did this very, very awful criminal activity of <laughs> writing your parents' name on this paper. And it launched you into this world that you are still in. It did. Yeah, it did. I thank wow. my parents for grounding me. Wow. And on the scale of things, I mean, Haley, that was not a huge infraction. I mean, there are kids who are doing much worse stuff. And I'm sure that, and even the way you were talking about it, you still have like nervousness about that. Like, <laughs> I can see it in you. <laughs> You were so upset that you even did that. <laughs> I did. I don't even know what came over me. <laughs> Little fourth grade Haley, she rebelled. Oh, my word. Got to watch out it for was, you. It wasn't really a rebellion. It was more of an act of anxiety, which is yeah. fair. But So funny, though. And, yeah. and it started you here. Okay, mm -hmm. so let's talk about what you, what books you love, what you're mm -hmm. reading, Tell me about tell me about the books in your life right now. What what's on your what's on your shelf? What's on your radar? So I'm actually doing a couple of buddy reads. Um, I'm doing a reread of A Court of Wings and Ruin by Sarah J. Moss, which is the third installment in the A Court of Thorns and Roses series. Um, so I'm doing that on Instagram with a couple of friends, and I'm actually rereading it because I got my mom into reading A Court of Thorns and Roses. So I kind of want to be there along the way as she as she reads and be able to actively talk about things I might have forgotten. So I'm reading that. And as I mentioned, I'm also reading Finley Donovan is Killing It, um, which I'm absolutely loving. Absolutely loving. Um, and then next on my radar, I want to get into uh, Frederick Backman. So I have most of his books. I have Bear Town, A Man Called Ovi, and anxious people. So I don't know which one I'm going to start with yet. Mm -hmm. I have a lot so on my are... radar. Of course you do. Yeah. Because you're a reader with a capital R. Of course you have a lot on your radar. Yes. Mm -hmm. Those are three very different Frederick Bachman books. Yes. And I did Bear read Town... the synopsis of Bear Town. Okay. So Bear Town is not his typical. Like he's he's very good at quirky characters in normal situations, 
and the way they encounter each other and how they see the world is wildly refreshing. And the way he writes it is sardonic and fun and fast paced. And it's beautifully done. Um, Beartown is a little bit darker, but still brilliant. I mean, that was probably one of my, well, that's probably my top Frederick Bachman book, but oh, it really? is not his typical light mm-hmm. humor filled book. So, so should I start with Beartown or should I do a lighter one first? It depends on the mood you're in. It, whatever mm. book you just finished, whatever mood you're chasing, just because if you're going to grade your books based on moods and kind of pair them up that way, that one is a little heavier, mm-hmm. but still brilliant. Anxious People is a little bit um, of a roundabout book because you get a lot of characters and you hear a lot of backstory and then it kind of all comes together in this very beautiful, fun way. And then the other one, A Man Called Uva, is heartwarming and charming and witty and a little emotional. So those are the feelings that the three books have, depending on what you are chasing. Any of those, they're all great. Depends on the mood you're looking for. Is that how you pronounce the name Ova, not Ovi? I've heard it, man called Uva. Uva, okay. Uva, because it's, yeah. Not not Ovi. Cool. Ovi. Really, Ovi? really just read that like like it sounded <laughs> or had it read. You know that's okay. That's yeah. that's also anytime a reader says a name right or wrong, it's because you've read it. You didn't hear it or watch it on TV, right? Yeah. Say it how you like. It's okay. Doesn't Absolutely. matter. It's all good. Yeah, Frederick yeah. Bachman is a is a gem, absolute gem. I'm very excited to get into his reading. I've also been meaning to get into Taylor Jenkins' read backlist ever since you posted it on the Daisy Chain Instagram. Um, I just haven't gotten there yet. I read The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo and loved it, but I think the next one I have is Malibu Rising or Forever Interrupted. I haven't decided which one I'm going to go with yet. Forever Interrupted is actually the next audiobook that I have to read. That's my next one. I'm finishing one today. It's what? Oh, which one are you finishing? I'm finishing The Maid by Nina Prose. Oh, that one's on my list oh, too. It's so good. It very much has um, Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine and Finley mm. Donovan vibes to me. Ooh. It's it's very literal. It's a character who doesn't have a lot of social filters. So she mm-hmm. sees things literally. She doesn't understand people's vague conversation she doesn't get certain things she can't read social cues and she's just a hundred percent herself so when something happens in her life she's going to face it and her perspective is not like anybody else's and she is darling like I just I love her I love 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 her and and so she reminds me of characters like that who and then the pace of it like Finley Donovan is fun and witty and bouncy and I'm laughing out loud and it's adorable. And yeah, so it's, it's a good one. And then after that one, I'm doing Taylor Jenkins read. Okay. Ian actually picked out the maid for me, my, my boyfriend. So for Christmas, he picked out the last bookshop of London by Madeline Martin. I think it is. Um, and he picked that out completely on his own volition. You know, I didn't generally read historical fiction books before that one. Um, but I guess he found it in the bookstore and thought I might like it. And I read it in one sitting. I completely devoured it. 
So then we went out again. And I had a couple gift cards after Christmas. And I asked him to pick me out another book because he had done such a good job the first time. Uh, so he picked <laughs> out the made for me. And what is a bookshop in London about? A bookshop in London is about a young woman. Her name is Grace. And she lives in the countryside of London. Um, but at the very beginning of World War II, before they're even considering that a war is going to happen, she moves to London with her best friend. Um, her mother had passed away. She was working at her uncle's department store and she just wasn't loving her life. She felt very alone and she didn't know what to do about it. So when her mother's, I think it was her college friend or her childhood friend, Mrs. Weatherby, invites her to stay in London with her and live there while she kind of gets on her feet. She takes up the offer and her and her friend pack it up. They move to London. They both want to work at Harrods together, which is a London department store, but her uncle wouldn't give her a letter of recommendation for work. So she has no way of getting a job. And at Harrods, you need to have a letter of recommendation. Her friend offers to forge her one, but she doesn't feel comfortable with that. So Mrs. Weatherby suggests that she work at this bookstore that's down the road um, to get her letter of recommendation. The owner offers her a six month contract just to get her letter of recommendation. That's it. She's not thrilled about working in a bookstore. She's never sold books. She never read books. She's not a book lover. But she gets in and it's dusty and it smells. And the old man is crooked as sin, which I, I don't know if people who are not from this know what that means, but he's grouchy. <laughs> he is crooked. And <laughs> so slowly she starts to peel away these layers from him and you know, she starts organizing the books and cleaning. She starts dusting. She starts trying to figure out how to market his books. And she she gets a sense of pride in the work that she's doing. So once again, this is a historical fiction book. So the war is happening, but you don't really register that the war is happening until the beginning of chapters. They give little snippets like um, Germany invaded Poland today. Germany invaded France. There was a bombing here until the war really comes to a peak. And then you see how the bookshop brings the community together. And it's a very beautiful story. Bookshops love do it. that. They do. Absolutely. Huh. It was and a she, very beautiful story. Were you saying earlier, she was thinking about forging the signature to get the, we're going to call that a Haley now. <laughs> I, think, I think that's, I think that's going to be the term. A Haley. <laughs> pull a Haley. <laughs> I love books that take place in bookstores or make the bookstore almost like a side character of a story because there is such a magical element about being surrounded by all of those perspectives and ideas and the beautiful histories of the books and all the people who come in are such dynamic, vibrant, kind of quirky characters and nothing except amazing things is going to happen in a bookstore book. So no, I'm absolutely. down for that every time. I love, uh, I loved it. It was so beautifully written. It was the first Madeline Martin book I had ever read. Uh, it was the first historical fiction book besides, you know, uh, Far From Home that I had ever read. So I definitely picked up some more. And it was my first five-star read of 2022. Nice. Yeah. So now you you think that historical fiction would be a genre that you could tackle with enthusiasm? With enthusiasm. Yeah, I have 
the Jane Austen Society that I'm planning on reading as well, which I would say is a historical fiction book. Um, and then I also have another one. It's called Flight Girls. But I'm not sure what that yeah. is about. Yeah. Yeah, that's also historical fiction. Yep. Yeah. Well, that's good. Well, you're you're picking good ones because there are historical fiction books that are ugh, a little bit, you know, a little hard. They're kind of a slog fest. Sometimes they're hard yeah. to get through. Um, when Kristen Hanna's The Nightingale came out, and that book is about World War II, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, the popularity of that book made that entire subgenre of historical fiction and World War II books so incredibly popular. The number of books that were published after that were off the charts. Wow. So I just that doesn't finished, mean they're all great. No, absolutely. I just finished Four Winds, actually, speaking of Kristen Hanna. I didn't even think of it, but I just finished it and I loved it. The Four Winds. Oh my gosh. I listened to it yeah. as an audiobook, which was a great way, I think, to to digest that book. I think it's needed an audiobook. I think it needed a voice. Well, and the voice that um, Kristen Hanna uses for her books is Julia Whalen. Julia mm-hmm. Whalen reads her books and she also reads Taylor Jenkins Read. So if you ever get a Taylor Jenkins Read audiobook, same voice, same professionalism all the right tones and moods are hit her her narrative is so good i listen to julia whalen's books just because they're ones that she reads i don't even know who the author is but if julia whalen reads it i'm down for that and she even wrote her own book oh did she yeah yeah it's called um a year in oxford or my year in oxford and it's just a a fun kind of little rom-com book not bad at all. Well done, Julia Whalen. It blows my mind for people who, who narrate audiobooks how easily they can distinguish between characters and how, you know, they can go from a male voice to like a female voice, like a child voice so easily. Yeah. I wonder when they're it, looking at the text, if there is some sort of notation that tells you, oh, switch to this accent here. Oh, this is this. Because when I'm reading, I just read quickly and I don't think about translating it that way in time. Okay. So how, yeah. do they, how do they, is it written in a different color? I don't know. Now, speaking of which, my dad did really great voices in books when, when I was growing up. He read me all the Harry Potter books and he had a voice for every character. It was spectacular. It was like a it was like a one person show. Yeah, yeah. yeah that he really read does aloud. elevate it. Yeah, he read aloud every single Harry Potter book to me. That was man was a trooper. That's dedication. Those books are big. Yeah, they are. And you know, I love what Harry Potter has done for kids reading and their willingness to engage in a thick meaty book with a lot of ideas a lot of overlapping themes you know you really have to think critically because you have to remember what happened two books back and Mm -hmm. it really did challenge kids to consider reading at a whole different level I love that I mean there's some big words in there for mid-grade reads like there's some words that even I had to double check what they meant because I was like not 100% sure yeah no, it's true. It's true. And I, I think that the number of parents who are reading the Harry Potter series with their kids are getting so much more out of it as grown-ups than if they just read the book themselves. Absolutely. I got so much more out of it when I read it myself 
I think it was during the pandemic, I reread the entire series and I got so much more out of it the second time around. Oh yeah. It's a, Mm -hmm. it's a rich series. Absolutely. I always feel badly when somebody comes in and to the store and says, Oh, I just finished Harry Potter for the first time. It was so great. Do you have anything like that? No, (laughs) no, we don't. (laughs) Yeah. What, what would you recommend after Harry Potter? You know what? I'm reading Percy Jackson for the first time. And I started Percy Jackson right after I reread Harry Potter. And I'm only at the third book. I just finished Sea of Monsters there a couple months back. But, you know, they don't give the same Harry Potter vibes, but they definitely do take you into a world of their own. And I love that. Yeah. So I think Percy Jackson is like a... It's like an obvious choice to recommend after Harry Potter, but it's still a solid one. Now, the curious thing, too, is the age of readers from Harry Potter and Percy Jackson is more like tweenish, roughly. Mm-hmm. And then from there, you go out up to like teen young adults. And the content and the theme stuff can get very grown up very fast. You sure can. Ooh. So, so how would you transition? Because you've read a lot in between. So if you were to go from, let's say, mid-grade kind of Harry Potter-ish, you would not jump into Court of Thorns and Roses. No. No. So what would, no. You, what would you put in the middle? Oh, goodness. Um, you know, if you had asked me this question eight years ago, I probably would have recommended City of Bones by Cassandra Clare. However, I would not necessarily recommend those books because they do deal with some sensitive topics in the beginning that are not necessarily, actually not even necessarily, that are not at all morally right to do. So I wouldn't jump right to those ones, although some people might recommend them. Um, I would actually go Red Queen by Victoria Aveyard. Now you're talking... And that, that, also, that will also lead people into the fantasy genre at a much gentler pace. Absolutely. The her- is, it kind of has the same feel to me as like um, Kira Cass's The Air series. Same kind of feel, right? Mm-hmm. That one is a little more love-based, but The Red Queen, is it's gentle. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Now, I will say it took a lot of books for me to find the good ones in fantasy and the sci-fi genre. There were some books that I read in high school that were questionable at best in both their plot and writing. Um, yeah. But I, I read anything I could get my hands on. There was one series called, I think it was the Barcode series. I don't even know if you can still get it, but basically from from what I can remember, people had barcodes on their wrists and you can scan them and you get their entire identification. And there was this group of people that, you know, had the idea of what if we just didn't get this, this tattoo? What if we took it off and we lived outside of society? So that was the premise of the book. But that was one of the ones I found in my school library once I had read everything I could at my reading level. And then I, I went up, I think I was in the sixth grade. Wow. That's a big idea for a kid in the sixth grade to barcode humans. Yeah, it was. I I don't think I really understood half the stuff I was reading at that age, but I was reading everything so quickly that 
I would kind of just read anything I got my hands on. And I feel like, you know, a lot of kids are like that when they do start reading is they read a lot of things. They don't quite understand what they're reading and, but they just, they love reading and they don't know what else to get their hands on. It's true. And sometimes you have to have those big ideas to compel them to keep reading. Mm -hmm. If it's too simple, then they're done there. It's, it's almost insulting grab my attention, keep me, give me something to chew on. But a big idea like that, or the dystopian novels, Mm -hmm. you know, for early readers, that's kind of a big idea. Like the world is ending, Mm -hmm. the kids are going to have to, you know, (laughs) rebuild this group of people and, Mm -hmm. um, and survive. It kind of takes a book of like, like a hatchet book to a whole new level when it's dystopian, because survival is key. And do you have what it takes? Absolutely. And that reminds me of the Fifth Wave series as well. I don't remember the author of that one. But it's kind of the same premise, you know, the world is falling apart, and it's on these kids shoulders to to fix it. But I also think about at that age, what kind of standard that set for me growing up, like these kids are saving the world, and they're doing all this stuff. But what am I going to do? What am I going to do that's comparable to the characters in these books? And it sent me into an existential crisis for a little bit. I'm not gonna lie. Because all I was reading were were dystopian and fantasy novels. And they all had these amazing heroes who were, I mean, at one point I was reading them, they were younger than me. I was like, yes. where, where do I go from here? It's true. I read a lot of Nancy Drew. And I was looking for really bad, nefarious, scheming people to do things that I could catch them at. I was curious that somebody was going to like snatch me up and stick me in their trunk if I was onto them, you know, all of the things. But frankly, mm-hmm. she was a grown up. <laughs> I was yeah, just absolutely. a child. <laughs> yeah. I went from reading things like that, but I also read like Sweet Valley High because I got a lot of them in garage sale bins. I read a yes. lot of Sweet Valley High. Sweet Valley High. Oh my gosh. Those Wakefield twins. Yeah, I just remember them being described with strawberry blonde hair. And that's the best that I remember from the book. Just the strawberry blonde hair. I think that those kind of remind me of if you could take Beverly Hills 90210, that kind of idea and put it in a high school book series. That's Sweet Mm -hmm. Valley High. There's so much drama. Like, how could they function? I thought there was something wrong with my high school because there was no drama. I thought there was something wrong because everyone was going through all this stuff. And I was like, I'm trying to figure out where to eat in the cafeteria. That's the extent (laughs) of my drama, (laughs) which I guess is a good complaint to have. But, you know, it was like, where's this high school experience that I was promised in these books? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it it feels like the two Wakefield twins, Jessica and Elizabeth, and Jessica was the daring, risque one. And Elizabeth Mm -hmm. was the sweet and innocent one. And it felt like the um, Betty and Veronica kind of debate. And so there are these these tropes that were familiar in terms of how we're going to stereotype girls. They're either going to be sassy and bitchy or they're going to be angelic and sweet. There -hmm. really wasn't a whole lot in between. I was going to (laughs) say, heaven forbid you're both. Oh my gosh, yeah. Which is like everybody. Yeah, exactly. We can identify with both of them (laughs) That's where we live. Absolutely. Yeah, heaven forbid yeah. you're both of those things. I don't think I've read a character who was both sassy and bitchy, but also sweet and mild. Like, there is no in-between. No, it's true. 
And it, it does, you're right, it does definitely change how you see the world around you when you immerse yourself in those stories because they're very unrelatable. And yet they are. kind of desirable. Like, is it that we want that kind of drama in our life or do we want to keep it in the books? I don't know. I think when it comes down to it is that like you want the experience that, that's in these books because it's something that's worth someone writing about. You want to have that kind of value and that kind of impact, but what people write in books is for the most part very unrealistic because they are in books, but you still grasp for that kind of drama and the intensity that you, you read about. You want your life to be that. Yeah. And now you are writing a book as well. I am writing a book. I actually started writing a little bit more after writing night. Um, it is a high fantasy romance series, which no surprise, but it's based around the setting is Newfoundland basically um, with a fantasy twist. Nice. Yeah. So if there are any literary agents or publishers listening, that is a story that has not been told yet. So pay attention because you want to hear about this. I'm very excited to write about it. Because the, the little bit that you read out the other night at Write Night was actually really good. I was so nervous to read that. <laughs> but I've been writing ever since. My mom likes to tell the story that ever since I could pick up a pen I've been writing, she used to find like these notebooks filled with, I used to have it in the backseat of the car with me. I would have bananas, $1.99, a two-for-one toilet paper written in these notebooks. Whatever I could see like on the signs passing as we drove, I would have written in these notebooks. And I had so many filled up by the time that I graduated high school. I had a small poetry book written, actually. My mom tried to push me to publish it. But I think poetry is a little bit too personal if you're not ready to publish. Mm -hmm. So I've always had a writing itch. That's yeah. good, though. And you're actually mm -hmm. trying it. I am. It's nerve wracking. And it's, you know, especially when, you know, you're reading stuff aloud to a whole bunch of people and you don't necessarily know if it's any good. But it's a great environment to be around. I love writing nights. I think it's very inspiring to be with people in one space that all have the same passion and desire and that same kind of nervousness about what to do about it or do I share it? Do I, I don't know. It feels very uncertain. And yet once you realize, oh, if I read this out loud, nope, nothing bad happens. Okay. Exactly. I got some good feedback. Okay. Right. Like mm -hmm. I think that's such a positive moving forward feeling. It is. And I, yeah, I'm, I was super proud of you for reading that out loud because oh, I know it's not you. easy. No, and everyone was super nervous, but it was such, you know, you got the clap, you got the applause afterwards. And it was like, oh, I did something. Even though your hands are shaking and my feet were sweating, I was like, I did, I read it. I did something. That was pretty cool. Yeah. And, and every, every book in that store, regardless of whether it's good or not, it all started with that same first few sentences, that nervous feeling, everyone starts the same. And mm -hmm. to do that means you're in good company. Absolutely. Because every book that you love started the same way. It sure did. Although I don't know how Sarah J. Moss's process is right now. She probably just gets up in the morning and says, okay, we're going to write a bestseller. And she just goes for it. <laughs> her, her world building is so intricate. And the way that it is, she does everything intentional. Nothing is on accident in Sarah J. Moss's books. And I have come to realize that after her latest installment in the Crescent City series, nothing she writes is an accident. Everything is intentional. And there are no 
gaps that have to be filled, they are already filled. Hmm. They all are just waiting to fall into place. I'm very intrigued by that series. Um, Jen, who works at the store, she picked up the first Crescent City book. And she literally was feeling miserable because she had to do other things except read. Everything that took her away from that book was just disappointing. And she was so frustrated because she was just loving it. She said, I love it so intensely. She didn't think she would. You know what? I didn't think I would like it either because it is that weird you know, combination of modern world, modern technology, humans, and and then you have that fantasy element. So you have the fae, you have the mer people in there, you have angels and archangels, and it's really weird having the combination of two of them clash together, combined. But she does it so well. And the other series, which I mean, I did not know this until you told it to me. A Court of Thorns and Roses has its own acronym, Akatar. When people yeah. speak about a series like, oh, Akatar, you know it's a big deal because they have made it so popular, it's got its own nickname. Each of the books have their own acronym. So you have Akatar, and then you have Aka, I have them on my shelf, I have to look at them to say it. Akamath, so a court of mist and fury. Akawar, which is a court of wings and ruin. And then a court of frost and starlight. You just say that one because it's a novella. Yeah. And it's pretty 50-50 whether or not people are going to like that one. Personally, I loved it. And then there's Akaseth, which is A Court of Silver Flames. Okay, so I've read the first one. And it was good. I, I liked it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started the second one on audio. And I mm-hmm. just could not, I could not get into it. I thought, what am I doing? This is not for me. So apparently, I need to read that one with my eyes. Yes, you do. Okay, okay. So I, yeah. I've learned because it was not satisfying with my ears. I needed to read with my eyes. Now, I listened to those the first time as audiobooks, but this is because I was I was working in an office setting and I had started reading them and I could not put them away when I went to work. Couldn't do it. I was thinking about it. I wasn't doing my work. So I started listening to the audiobooks and I was I was powering through my work. I was listening. It was like if everything got more intense, I was doing more work. And my boss was like, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. You're doing great. <laughs> like Sarah J. Moss every day. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, I'm I think I'm curious about it too, not because this is a genre that really melts my butter. This is not really typically my thing, but I am curious about the fandom. I'm curious about how people on Book Talk they hug that book to themselves and they say, Oh my gosh, where's this book been? I had no idea. I'm oh, I just I want to read it again. And they're just they're so dedicated to it. And I'm intrigued by this. So even if it's just to know what everybody else is talking about, not necessarily because it's something that I'm passionate to dive in and continue with. Maybe I will. Maybe I'll get there. I don't know. But I'm I'm curious to see. I told myself I was never going to read it before I had read it. I had promised myself. I said, this is overhyped. I'm not going to like it. You know, this, that, the other thing. I read Throne of Glass halfway through. I stopped reading it. You know, maybe these books just don't serve me. I I basically told myself it was overhyped. I'm not going to read it because everyone was recommending it to me and I was not going to read it. And then it was available on Libby, which is the the library app that I use for audiobooks. It was like Mm -hmm. one of the lucky day reads. And I was like, well, there's nothing else. I have to wait for everything else. So whatever, I'll just listen to it. I stayed up all night listening to that audiobook. All night. I was exhausted the next day, but it was so worth it. 
And then I hugged the book to my chest after after I had read it. I was then one of those people uh, as soon as I had finished the first one. So what do you think it is about this series that grabs people with such intensity? And now, people might give you other answers, but I think for me, it was Sarah. And we talked about this at the last book club. I think that, you know, she fell in to a, a difficult situation. She fell in, she made a mistake, and she had to, you know, pay the consequences for it, whatever those consequences had been. And she was really hurt and she was broken on the inside from what she had gone through, her own personal trauma. And she was really just trying to get away from it. And when she found that that place, I don't really want to get into a whole lot of detail and spoilers, <laughs> but when she got to that place and she became comfortable and she became compliant and she became nothing in the world is my worry anymore, that I'm somewhere and I'm safe and nothing is my issue. I'm going to stay here. And I'm going to be, you know, this, this trophy up on a shelf. And that's all I ever want to be. And then something happened. And she couldn't have that anymore. And she really took things into her own hands. And she did the thing. And I think it was her her ferocity and her bravery. And she had never experienced the stuff that was happening to her before. And she just did it. And I thought that was amazing. I thought her, her tenacity was admirable. Okay. And now people are like, oh, the, the the men in the book, which I get it. Trust me. I get it. But for me, it was really Sarah. And they're very saucy, apparently. The first one, I mean, I didn't really think it was that spicy. The first one was mildly saucy. The other ones are rather, yeah. I will keep going. I will read the second one. The second one is not Wings and Fire. The second one is... Mist and Fury. Mist and Fury. Okay, I will yeah. read Mist and Fury with my eyes, mm -hmm. and then I'll let you know what I thought. Yeah. Well, Andrea, who works at the store, her backup reading genre is typically like cozy British. She loves those, right? She likes some historical. It's it's very kind of pop fiction that is her thing. So she decided to try the Court of Thorns and Roses series, and. She came in and her eyes were bugged right out. She could not get over how much she loved the series. They went on her staff favorites wall right away. She is so 100% into the fandom. And I said, man, you drank the Kool-Aid. She's like, I drank it. I made some more and I drank some more. She was just and I'm proud so of it. Yes. <laughs> she was so surprised by how much she really loved it because I think so many times when we have an idea of a genre or a series or an author or whatever, we can disregard it without saying, you know what? I think there might be something in there that I could get out of it. What mm -hmm. if it's better than I think? And putting judgments aside and saying, I'm going to give it a try. Yeah. The You mentioned earlier the Cassandra, Cassandra Clare series, uh, mm -hmm. City of Bones. Mm -hmm. I actually really preferred the three book series, the Clockwork Princess, the whatever, there's three of them, Clockwork Prince, Clockwork Princess, Clockwork Angel, I think. They were beautiful. Um, the perfect size of a series too. Mm -hmm. It was so much better as a story. It was condensed. It had all the things I wanted and then it was over without being dragged on for 13 books or whatever nonsense. <laughs> it was just the right size. Yeah, I got as far as City of Heavenly Fire in that series. And then that's when the Infernal Devices started to come out. Um, I read the first one and I stopped reading City of Bones completely. I stopped reading the Mortal Instruments because Infernal Devices had 
everything that that other series did not. And the characters were lovable and you cried with them and you loved them and you mourned with them. And then, you know, yeah. you found hope with them all over again. It was beautiful. I love that series. It was. And you, I found you did not have to have read The City of Bones at all to get why these three books were so good. They were so self-contained. Because they're a prequel to, to The Mortal Instrument, I think. Yeah. There are so many series I think actually would be better off if they were shorter. Mm-hmm. They would serve the reader better. You could say, we actually took the best of this and put it into the books that were the most exciting for us as a writer. So mm-hmm. like even for Outlander, and I know it's a very contrary opinion. The first book was fabulous. Mm-hmm. Outlander was a great, great book. Second one was good. The third one, like they started to peter off for me. And yeah. I, if I had stuck with the first book, and there was no second, I would be completely satisfied. Yeah. That's like the From Blood and Ash series as well. We're once again talking about that one in book club. And then, you know, you have your your introduction and then a whole lot of nothing in between just to get to, you know, your two page of, of climax at the end. And then that's it. Right. All those books, because they could have been condensed into a trilogy. No issue. But I guess, you know, you get more books, you get more sales. So it works. But there's a lot of people who agree that that's, that series could definitely have been condensed into a trilogy and it's going to be a six-parter series. Really? Wow. Okay. (laughs) I have a hard time getting excited about a book that is not edited properly. Yes. The editing in those ones is questionable. She messes up characters' names, spells characters' names wrong, um, which (laughs) confused me because one of them, N-A-I-L-L, which I'm still not 100% sure how to pronounce it. But she wrote it Nile. And then in my head, I just thought One Direction. So I wrote read it as Nile continuing on. And I just thought of Nile Horn from One Direction the entire time I was reading it. Yeah, you could, especially when you get a certain level of popularity, there's a lot more eyes on your work. There's mm-hmm. really no excuse for making mistakes like that. Like you should be paying close attention to the quality, really just to honor the readers who are investing in you. Absolutely. And that's what somebody said at Right Night, too, is they were actually in the editing stages of their book. And the amount of detail and time that you take to edit and to carefully get your idea across without errors. I mean, yeah, I honor the ones who do it well. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Put the time and effort and are, you know, passionate about it. So before we before we go, tell me what there what book there is on your shelf that you cannot wait to start reading. I've been in uh, a romance rut, and not that I'm complaining. I've been reading a lot of romance books lately. Um, I have a couple there that I'm really eager to read. One of them is the Bromance Book Club. That one is very high on my list. And I'm uh-huh. also eager to read uh, The Roommate by Rosie Dannon. Yeah, Bromance Book Club is very fun. And I very like fun. that it, because you said it gives each of the, the characters in it their own separate story after, mm-hmm. like, in the series. I like when books do that because the deal by L. Kennedy also did that with all the guys that were in the book as well. I like it when they break off and they get their own little, they get their own little moment in the in the sun. I like that. They do. And each one has their own perspective, their own story and ideas, right? So mm-hmm. to spend time with them really helps you appreciate the first book when they just give you a little bit, Absolutely. like a little teaser for who they are. Well, I'm curious what you thought when you finished that one, because that's a, uh, because we, we talked about the bromance book club at the chocolate and book pairing night. So much fun. The good times. 
I came home with chocolate leftovers and Ian was very jealous. <laughs> Did you share? He can't. He's allergic to tree nuts. Oh. So I was eating all this delicious chocolate in front of him and I was like, you can't have me. Oh, poor Ian. <laughs> well, it's okay. Well, I appreciate you um, talking with me. I'm looking at the list of all the books we talked about. Holy crap. Did we talk about a lot of books? We sure did. Like, honestly, if anybody is curious about what books we discussed because you thought you heard about it, but you didn't write it down or you're in your car, don't worry, because I wrote them all down and I will put a list of all of them in the show notes with a link to where you can get them. Um, because there's a lot of them, my friends. Haley is widely read and uh, yeah, we touched on a whole bunch. We sure did. It was so much fun too. Thank you so much. When you're talking about books, it's it's never dull because there's so much vitality in the stories and the reading experience. And when you talk with somebody who has that same feeling, well, it's like the pace of the conversation just escalates. Yeah, the conversation could go on forever. I know, they could, they could. But for our poor listeners who are listening, who are maybe <laughs> saying, well, I just want them to be done so I can just get out of my car. Okay. <laughs> We will wrap it up for you. (laughs) Today's episode of the Bookshop Chronicles has been brought to you by Write Night. Sometimes you just want to get together with other local budding writers and sit down and just write. Have dedicated time, have a dedicated space, you know, eat some pizza, have some laughs, maybe share your stories and get some feedback from people, and just have a blast with the process. Well, that's what we do. Once a month, we have Write Night in the store and all the proceeds go to Youth Write, which is a local writing camp for young writers so they can develop that literary beauty that we come to love as readers. Write Night, because it's awesome. Okay, that's my commercial. That was really not very good, but whatever. You you get the gist of it. So I am so glad that Haley was able to join me and give you such a fantastic list of books to look into. And you know what? We have more really fun guests coming who are also part of our community and who also have great book recommendations. So you can find us at daisychainbook.co online. You can find us on TikTok. Yeah, you can. Of course you can. So look for Daisy Chain Book on TikTok and we're there. Look for us everywhere. And you know what? Pretty soon you can find us in Beaumont. More details on that are coming. And I cannot believe that this is something I'm saying. We are actually a chain. Holy crap. That's a big deal. Um, so yeah, we went from this little tiny book truck to growing and growing and all the whole way you have been there. You have been there to be a part of it, to hear what's going on and to support us. We are a very dedicated bunch of booksellers and we have found you a dedicated group of readers who really want to support local and make us shine so that we can be more available in the ways that you love for other readers. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. We could not do this without you. Okay, you know how this goes. Whatever you're doing today, however you are going to serve the world, be relevant, be generous, be unforgettable. And may your reading life 
be extraordinary. Until next time, bye!